Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 and the Tennessee Power Hour is here. Big weekend of college football, NFL football, Vols, Titans. We're going to cover it all over the next hour, previewing all the big kickoffs across the state. Looking forward to that alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. We're going to get you to your weekend. We're about to be joined by Brent Hubbs of AllQuest.com. Uh, Austin Price would normally join us. He's traveling this week. Uh, Hubs will join us for the first 30 minutes or so of the hour. We'll preview all things Tennessee and Pitt in the Johnny Majors Classic that will kick off tomorrow. And then we have Titans and Cardinals. We'll be discussing that in about 30 minutes. But right now, we say hello to Brent Hubs. VolQuest.com is where you can find him and all the great coverage, of course, on the Vol Network as well. Brent, hope you're doing well and uh, looking forward to what's a pretty big game tomorrow at Neyland Stadium for the Vols? Uh, no doubt. I, I think this is a, a game where you're going to learn a lot about both teams. I, I think uh, there's probably a little more confidence oozing from the, the Pitt fan base with their experience returning at quarterback and the continuity they have. But uh, there's certainly a lot of uh, intrigue from the Tennessee fan base. How much improvement does this team make from week one to week two, starting obviously with the quarterback position in the passing game. But I think an interesting matchup of two teams that haven't played each other in a long time, but are actually pretty familiar with each other when you do a deep dive into this. You know, Josh Heupel and Pat Narduzzi have played twice against each other. Tim Banks has coached against Narduzzi when he was at Penn State. And, and backup quarterback Hendon Hooker has played against Narduzzi's defense twice. So he, he could help Joe Milton this week in some prep for what he could anticipate in some of the defensive looks that Pitt might bring. So there's actually quite a bit of familiarity with two teams that haven't played in a long time. Brent, how much do you think Heupel's familiarity from UCF benefits him against Narduzzi in preparation for tomorrow's kickoff? Well, I think you have an idea of what Narduzzi likes to do, particularly on third down, if you're in third long situations. So I think you're from a play calling standpoint, um, you never want to be in third long, but against this team, you really want to avoid it. And if you get in that situation, you probably have a better feel of what you can run and what you can't run against some of the exotic looks that he does. On the flip side, I think it's a big advantage for Narduzzi to understand the pace of play that Tennessee is going to play at because they played against it against UCF. And they're, you know, the Tennessee players have not played against Pat Narduzzi's um, players. Pitt has played against Josh Heupel's system. you got a bunch of veteran linebackers, some veteran defensive linemen, a couple of secondary guys who played against uh, UCF a couple of years ago. So, Probably a bigger advantage for them because they played against the tempo. But the advantage for Heupel is to have a better understanding of what Narduzzi likes to do on defense to better equip his quarterback and his offense for success. Brent, I know that the, the Josh Heupel system is not overly complicated offensively, but I go back and watch that Bowling Green game. It was very, very simple. And I don't know how many layers of the onion – you can peel back with what Heupel is doing and how much they intentionally did not show against Bowling Green. But I guess my question is, 
How simple was it against Bowling Green? How much more complicated do you think this will get with what they're trying to do against, against Pitt? Well, I, I mean, I think it was simple against Bowling Green because Tennessee was just, you know, just more talented. I mean, they could obviously just line up and, and run over them. And I think Tennessee was going to be pretty vanilla to begin with. And then obviously when the passing game lost its way, they got really vanilla. I, I don't think they were very exotic in anything in the run game. Um, the, the, the thing that we're all trying to figure out with this system is with the passing game is how much of that is Joe Milton not seeing the field? How much is the field limited for him in terms of what his reads are supposed to be? What's the progression look like? Uh, how much of this was a mistake by uh, the receiving core not reading uh, coverages the right way and, and getting the quarterback and the receivers on the wrong page? And then you throw in the fact this too. I mean, if Joe Milton hits two deep balls, which he overthrew uh, an open Cedric Tillman, there's no schematics there. He just overthrew him. And if Jalen Hyatt catches two balls – Tennessee scores probably three more touchdowns. Joe Milton throws for over 300 yards and a couple of touchdowns, and everybody's got a much different vibe about where this Tennessee offense is going into week two. He didn't get that done, so I understand the angst and the concern. I just don't think you can cast judgment on what you saw in those first four quarters of this offense in a competitive game. So um, Chad has had a poster made of Lucas Krull. He thinks he's designated him as the poster boy for the middle of the field question about Tennessee. He thinks the Florida transfer is going to be the guy who (laughs) tests the middle of the field the way so many people did successfully last year against Tennessee. Bowling Green obviously didn't didn't do that. What's your sense about how much better or how how the same Tennessee might be at defending somebody like him and whatever else? Pitt can throw in the middle of the field. Well, I mean, Pitt loves to run crossings and loves to run a lot of crossing pattern. And um, there's no doubt that uh, that Kenny Pickett likes the middle of the football field. That's where he's the most comfortable throwing. I think he was about 78 or 80 percent across the middle of the field last week. So Tennessee's going to have to be good there. Tennessee's safeties, I think, are playing better. They got more confidence. I think schematically they will put their guys in better positions to make plays and to be more successful in the middle of the field than than what happened a year ago. Uh, They never corrected the problem a year ago. South Carolina was effective over the middle of the field. I mean, how many slants did they throw in the opening game and Tennessee never fixed it? Linebackers couldn't cover it. Safeties, they didn't have an answer for it for whatever reason. Um, I I think schematically they'll be a little more sound there. Um, I think to control that a little bit too, Uh, Tennessee would very much like some inside pressure to try to collapse the pocket a little bit. Uh, Pitt's center is not the most experienced of the offensive linemen on that team. Uh, Those guards are pretty experienced, but but Tennessee uh, certainly wants and and needs some interior pass rush to kind of get in Pickett's face. They don't have to get home necessarily, but just to kind of crowd the viewpoint across the middle of the field because that's where Pitt likes to work. Tennessee can't let Pickett get comfortable. How big was the loss of Cooper Mays in the game against Bowling Green? What's his status now moving forward for this game against Pitt? What can you tell us about running back Tyon Evans also? And I guess if if Cooper Mays can't go, Brent, uh, how much better can you get repping it and working with a new center for an entire week getting ready for the next game as opposed to sticking Jerome Carvin in against Bowling Green uh, the other night? Well, Carvin's got all the reps at center because Cooper Mays has just not been able to do much of anything at all this week. He's been rehabbing the ankle. 
I would call him doubtful. I know Coach Heupel said that things had improved the last 24 to 36 hours. I'll be surprised if he plays. If he plays, Cooper's certainly not going to be 100%. And I think that's a concern when you're talking about that interior defensive line um, that, that Pittsburgh has. And I think that you're going to see Carvin at center. I think the bigger question is at guard, are they going to go back with Ollie Lane? Are they going to go with Kingston Harris? Uh, Josh Heupel indicated they might rotate a little bit more at guard if Cooper Mays can't play than what they play, what they rotated in the second half against Bowling Green. Uh, you know, Carvin had the two, the two holding penalties. I think that was a pure adjustment to snapping the ball and trying to get your hands on a guy. Uh, he would obviously be better uh, this week uh, than, than he was uh, a week ago, but the challenge is going to be much different as well. Uh, I think this was going to be a challenging game for Cooper Mays. Uh, going up against some heavier, stronger guys and, and veteran players uh, who have been in college weight rooms and, and who are men, so to speak. So um, they've got their hands full. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I don't think from a mental standpoint, Carvin's going to be a big drop-off there. I think he can get guys lined up. Uh, I know he's worked hard this week on getting you know, getting to the ball and getting spot, everything spotted and going because – that's the center's job. I mean, he's got to immediately be to the ball, first one of anybody there. So that's been a point of emphasis for Carvin this week. As for Tyon Evans, we'll get final word tomorrow. Certainly doesn't feel like there's a lot of optimism that he's going to be able to play. I think Tennessee has worked Jalen Wright extensively this week, and we'll see how much more of a factor Jalen Wright can be. And then I think the third, the other question is who's the third back if Evans indeed cannot go. Now, Tennessee's not ruling Evans out at this point. No final ruling will take place until tomorrow. But if he can't go, who is that third back behind Small and Jalen Wright? Is it Lenise Whitehead? Um, is it the walk-on Marcus Pierce? Uh, is it Deep Beckwith, who we did not see, um, and Whitehead we did not see in game one? So who becomes the third tailback, I think, is a big story because I don't know that you're going to just play with those two and – and small and right, and, and that'd be your only tailbacks because Wright's not the heaviest guy, and he's a guy who's learning and breaking himself into college football. Yeah, Brent, so much of, of Pitt's defensive success is scheme-related, which makes those two losses, if they can't go, uh, even more concerning for those trying to step in. And for Joe Milton, uh, he's facing a, a, a Pitt defense that's sacked the quarterback 97 times over the last two years. Um, that, that, that's nuts uh, when you when you consider what they've been able to produce and also from from a Milton standpoint based on that first game he doesn't move his feet a whole lot he just stands in the pocket whenever he's analyzing and, and surveying the field uh, do you think we'll see him move a bit more in this game yeah uh, I think you'll have to I, I think you may see even some design sprint out stuff to try to help them a little bit if they're having a hard time uh, third down's a big stat in this game. Uh, Tennessee's got to avoid third and long. They were pretty woeful in third and five-plus last week. They had, uh, I think, uh, three conversions in third and five-plus. Two of those were by penalty. Um, outside of that, I think they were 0-7 on third and five-plus. They, they've got to get in manageable third-down situations, particularly against a pit defense that their scheme really comes into play on third down. Uh, they get pretty exotic on third down. They come at you from different places. They'll play you a little more straight up on, on first and second down if you can run the football. Uh, if you can't run the football in early downs, then they're going to get pretty exotic then as well. But you really want to avoid third and long. I, I think you bring up a good point at the running back position. 
Jerry Mack has said publicly on multiple occasions that Tyon Evans is Tennessee's best pass protector. Uh, if he can't go, then that means Jabari Small's really got to step up and pass pro uh, in terms of blitz pickup. The same for Jalen Wright. Those guys have to be mentally really good on third down if they're going to be on the field and be at, and asked to be pass protectors. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think Milton cannot stand flat-footed and just, you know, like – I mean, he stood for four or five seconds yeah. last week because oh, yeah. he had all kinds of time like that. He's not going to have that kind of time in this game. So they're going to have to – He's going to have to get out of his hands quicker, uh, or they're going to have to also put him on the move a little bit quicker as well if they can't protect up front. And um, their protection wasn't bad by any means last week, but they had some breakdowns, you know, that, that led to some sacks and they had some miscommunications up front. So they've got to clean those up as well. Brent, coming into the season, Valus Jones, Jalen Hyatt would be the top two receiving options for Tennessee. That was the thought. Hyatt has a couple of, of bad drops in this game. Is that something that, that you've seen or heard about in practice with him? Do you think that's a one-game blip or a sign of something worse to come? And with Valus Jones, what is his health status going into this game? I know he battled a hamstring uh, throughout fall camp. Is he better? Is he practicing this week? Yeah, he's practiced, and he's been practicing. You know, he did not scrimmage in the preseason e either time because of the hamstring, but you know, he's been practicing the last couple of weeks. I, I think with Jalen Hyatt, I think that was a one-off. I, I don't think he's a guy who suddenly has developed hand problems or uh, or anything like that. I, I just think he dropped, you know, dropped two balls. I don't think that's a common thing for Jalen Hyatt. I think the biggest question for this receiving core, um, and, and I, I mentioned this on the show, I think a couple of weeks ago, leading in, and I think it's going to be really shown. Um, this week against Pitt is how do they how are they against press man coverage off the line of scrimmage? I think Cedric Tillman's Tennessee's best receiver getting off the ball from a physicality standpoint. Can Jalen Hyatt get free uh, from Pitt's corners? Um, you know, if he's in the slot, can he get free from the nickel guy or whoever he's matched up against? Who's going to win at the line of scrimmage? Tennessee's receiving core has to play more physical. They have to win better at the line of scrimmage. Now, one interesting, you know, matchup deal in this game. When you look at Pitt, they got a five foot eleven corner and a five foot nine corner. So Tennessee's got some one on one situations where you think they could win some jump balls. You know, they could win, um, you know, some things like that. So it's important that the quarterback gives his receivers a chance to go make a play. Translation: Don't overthrow a guy by five yards on a deep ball. It's better to underthrow him and, and let your guy go up and make a play if he's got five or six inches in height over a corner, such as the way Javante Payton should have in this game, Jalen Hyatt, and some of those guys against um, Pitt's corners that aren't the tallest guys in the world. So I I'm going to be curious to see how Tennessee plays that with back shoulder stuff. Uh, do they play the jump ball game a little bit more than what we've seen uh, to, to this point? Because Tennessee should have a height advantage there, even if they can't just dominate at the line of scrimmage from a physicality standpoint. Brent Hubbs with us. Coming up, we will discuss how Tennessee's defense can lead the charge against Pickett and that, that dynamic quarterback uh, for Pitt. We'll, we'll get into that, plus more with the Johnny Majors Classic as Tennessee takes on Pitt tomorrow at Neyland Stadium. We'll preview this game further straight ahead on OutKick 360. Outkick 360's Tennessee Power Hour rolls on with Brent Hubs of VolQuest.com as we preview the Johnny Majors Classic, which 
Kicks off tomorrow at Neyland Stadium, Tennessee and Pitt. Kenny Pickett, Brent, has more than 8,000 yards passing in his career at Pitt. How do the Vols go about trying to slow him down tomorrow? Well, he's played about um... – He's played about 100 years. <laughs> I think that guy's been there forever. Uh, that, that helps his yard total. But he's a guy who's gotten better. You know, they put him through the fire early, and he had to learn a lot on, on the job. And he's not had a great run game, so they put a lot on him. I, I think the biggest thing you have to do is you got to try to make him uncomfortable. He looks like, uh, and I'm no coach, but he looks like a pretty rhythm-type passer, a guy who can get hot, complete eight or ten in a row on you. But he's also a guy that if you make him a little bit uncomfortable, that – he might have some accuracy issues. We talked about it earlier. I think defending the middle of the field is a must because I think that's where he's most comfortable is between the hashes. You look at last week, uh, he was 17 of 23 for 167 yards and two touchdowns in the middle of the field. One of those went to uh, the tight end, Luke Kroll, as he had five catches for 58 yards and a touchdown. Uh, so I think the biggest thing you got to do is you try to, you got to try to make him uncomfortable. And uh, that starts with trying to push the pocket in the middle um, disguise some looks, um, try, try to give him some things that uh, he, he thinks he might be seeing that he's not seeing. That's hard to do for a guy who's played in 40 football games, basically. It's hard to confuse a guy like that because he's seen a lot. Uh, you hope the crowd's a factor and can rattle him a little bit, but you're, mm-hmm. the biggest thing you want to do is you just don't want to let him get into a rhythm and get hot because I think he's one of those guys who can do that but then when he gets out of rhythm, it may take him a couple of series to get back in rhythm. So you, you try to not to let him get into one of those hot streaks. On the eve of the Johnny Majors Classic, I'm wondering if there's evidence of little Brent meeting Johnny uh, in <laughs> elementary school. And uh, I'm hoping it's a good story. Uh, you know, my aunt, very few people know this. Uh, my aunt was a secretary in the football office at Tennessee when, when I was a kid. Um, she was actually... Um, one of the assistant coaches, secretaries on the offensive side of the staff. And so I got a pretty good vantage point from time to time in the spring of going over to the spring game or going over for spring practice and and hanging out and all of those things. So I I have multiple pictures. I don't have them readily available, Paul. I'm sorry. So you have to, you have to deal with the hoodie only today, but I have multiple pictures of, of me on, on Coach Major's knee and, and having the picture made at the spring game that a lot of people have. And I uh, had the pleasure to, to meet him multiple times. And um, there was a point in time in my life where I, I had, had, had a, suffered a pretty serious foot injury and was in the hospital for multiple weeks. And uh, Coach Major's called me about once a week to check on me because she made sure that he gave me a call. And uh, so I had plenty of experiences with Coach Major's when I was a a small kid. I thought it was a big deal and it was really cool to, oh, to meet him and to hang out with him. And uh, then I got the pleasure to, to talk and hear stories from him as a media guy uh, when he came back to town, you know, later on, which was kind of unusual. And uh, we talked about my aunt a little bit and, and he had very high praise for her and talked about what a fun experience it was in the office. So uh, I had the pleasure of knowing Coach Majors in a couple of different ways, both as a young kid and then uh, later on, trying to interview him for some stories to do, which was always interesting because whatever question you asked went on about a 10-minute answer in about 10 different directions. So it was entertaining. That's cool. So, Brent, um, speaking of Johnny Majors, Josh Heupel is going to wear the Johnny Majors blazer tomorrow for the Vol Walk. What are the odds that he dons this outfit for the entire game on the sideline? And do you have one of those? 
one of those I, not one exactly like that I've got one probably pretty close to something he wore because you know some of that stuff comes back in style of course I have no style but um, you know I might have a jacket similar to that not exactly like that I think you'll see Josh Heupel wear that on the ball walk I think you'll see him wear it in pregame warm-ups I don't think you'll see him wear it in the game um, just based on his reaction when he was asked about uh, maybe wearing one Wednesday night on, on ball calls before it came out that he was going to wear a jacket on the ball walk. He was he, he didn't seem very very comfortable with the idea of wandering roaming the sidelines in a, in a shirt and tie and a jacket. So I don't think you'll see the sport coat the entire game, but I do think you'll see it uh, through Tennessee's warmups. He may even run through the tee with it on, but I, I don't think I don't think it'll stay on him the whole time. Um. How many fans are going to stay with this thing the whole time uh, tomorrow in Knoxville? Is it going to be anywhere close to a sellout? You know, I, I don't think it's going to be a sellout, but there will certainly be more fans there this week than there were uh, last week for the Bowling Green game. Um, you know, I think Tennessee's going to will be somewhere around probably 90,000. They'll announce more than that. The, the, the beautiful thing is the weather is going to be uh, really nice tomorrow. It's not going to be overly hot. Humidity's not supposed to be high. Um, they say they fixed the concession stand problems that they had a week ago. So hopefully they've cleaned some of that up to make it a, a better fan experience. But I, I think that there, there's been more intrigue in this game all week long. I think it's building because it's the Johnny Majors classic, because it's a, uh, an opponent that's a, of a power five nature. I, I do think you'll see more fans and, and if Tennessee can play well, I think those fans are going to be in it. Uh, for for the entire four quarters because, I mean, weather-wise, I don't think anybody needs to be running to the house because it's too hot or anything like that because it does look like it's a pretty pretty nice uh, September day, a little cooler than it is most mid-Septembers. Not going to be much better than what uh, the weather forecast is tomorrow at Neyland Stadium at kickoff, Brent. Um, how big of a recruiting weekend is this for the program and who all is expected around or on campus tomorrow? You know, no official visits, but it is a solid recruiting weekend. Tennessee's going to have a good number of, of unofficial visitors in town uh, from around the state and, and some guys from um, neighboring states. They're going to have James Pierce, who's a big-time prospect over in North Carolina. That's probably arguably the biggest name or certainly one of the biggest names that's going to be in. He's got a tailback uh, teammate of his that's going to be in a, as well. Um, then they'll have some of the, the committed players in. Taven Jackson, Addison Nichols um, will be in. Uh, Deshaun Bishop, who's a local product at running back, who everybody's starting to really get on uh, that Tennessee offered early. He's going to be in as well. A couple other kids from around the state. Bryson Sanders is a Chattanooga area kid that's going to be in. Um, and some other local kids. And you'll have some kids from the mid-state and, and the, west, you know, the West End who are scheduled to be here. We'll see. I mean, the noon start time. Is not great for unofficial visits because that means somebody's getting up early and rolling this way. But um, not, not a bad, not a bad crowd. Um, I think they were going to have a couple of official visitors in, but because of the early start, guys playing Friday nights around the country, I think some guys felt like it would be better for them to come in for a game that was an afternoon or a night game uh, to get a little more atmosphere and a little more time w with everybody that way. But there'll be a good number of unofficials in. Brent, as you know, leadership isn't really tested until you have a chance at, at some adversity. This Tennessee team hasn't had that opportunity yet with that game against Bowling Green. They're going to have the opportunity for some adversity tomorrow and the rest of the way this season. How is the leadership in this locker room? I love the piece you guys did on, on a guy like Theo, Theo Jackson, for instance. Are there guys like that on this team that 
if this thing starts to go south, even if it happens at some point tomorrow, is this the type of locker room that can hold things together and continue to get the most out of this group? Well, you think it is. It feels like that because this team's got better chemistry than they had a year ago, probably better chemistry than they've had the last couple years in some ways. But you don't know. You, you just you never know until it happens. That You can prep for it. You can try to put guys in all those situations. You, you just don't know. And, and, and listen, I, I'm not saying this is why they fell apart offensively or, or struggled in the passing game offensively like they did a week ago, but – you know, that thing's on cruise control. I mean, everybody's at the concession stand at the end of near the end of the first quarter going, I just Joe Milton's the real deal, Brian. This offense is great. You know, they've scored on two possessions. Life's going well. Bam, holding penalty. Uh, then a negative yardage rushing play. And then all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're in third long punt. Then you got a drop pass. And all of a sudden you're next thing you know, you're two for 12 throwing the football. Is that because they didn't handle adversity well? I don't know. You know, we'll see. I mean, Tomorrow's certainly going to be harder. I do think this team has solid leadership, but the, the leadership that's on this team right now hasn't been put to the test the way that you would expect them to be put in the test, but put to test uh, like they will be tomorrow. I, I went back and watched Josh Heupel's loss to Pitt in, in 2019 when these two teams played, and, and Central Florida was awful to start that game. Turned it over twice, um, had like three three-and-outs early in the game, they never panicked, and they kept going. Can this team do that if it does, if they don't get off to a great start? You hope so. It feels like they're going to be okay, but you don't know that until it happens. Being there yesterday, Brent, there a lot of people, a lot of supporters of the program, like man, tomorrow is a or Saturday is a big game for this program. With that in mind, a win does what for Josh Heupel and this staff moving forward? Well, I mean, I think it it, it creates some confidence you know, and it creates some momentum and things going in, in the right direction. Um, maybe sooner than, than people thought or some people thought. I don't think, I think people need to be careful not to get too wrapped up in how big of a game it is. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by that is if they lose the game, this season's not lost or suddenly Josh Heupel can't play, can't coach or doesn't know what he's doing or the SEC's too big for him or whatever. The, the bottom line is this is a rebuild. And this is a serious rebuild that is going to take some time. It can be accelerated if they win some close games. This is a game that's a winnable game, um, but you got to go out and win it. It's also a very losable game. The acceleration of the rebuild of Tennessee hinges around this offense, and it hinges around Joe Milton's play at quarterback. If they don't get good quarterback play, they're going to struggle. And I don't care if you're who you are. I mean, if you watched the NFL game last night, you had two quarterbacks going at it. You don't have a quarterback in one of those, on one of those teams, you get blown out. You go watch the, the, the Pee Wee League playing, the 11-year-olds playing, you better have a quarterback who can do a few things for you at the lower levels too. High school football is the same way. It's the most pivotal position on the field, and it accelerates the return or the rebirth or the build or whatever if you can find good quarterback play. If you can't, it makes it tough. And, and that's why everybody's focused on Joe Milton and, and focused on whether or not Tennessee can win a close game, depending on how he plays tomorrow. As a Vol historian, Brent, I'm, I'm interested to get your answer to this question. And I ask about this game because I, w- I was at this game also. How much does this feel like 2009 Lane Kiffin Vols versus UCLA in game number two? Tennessee was a favorite in that game, I believe, by – seven to ten points or something like that 
and lost. Are there, do you see any similarities with the feeling around this game versus that game? Well, a, a little bit from this standpoint is the, the, the first game was a throwaway game. You just didn't learn anything about your team in week one. And in week two, Tennessee fans were so optimistic going to that UCLA game because Lane Kiffin scored in the mid-50s against Western Kentucky, and they're throwing it around a lot. Marcellus T catches a touchdown pass. Bryce Brown's running for 100 yards and scoring, and Hardesty's scoring. And it was so easy. Everybody's like, oh, the offense is fixed. So the takeaway from week one that year was, hey, Tennessee's well on their way back. This is a pretty quick fix. Then they go and they don't get it done against UCLA. They fail inside the five-yard line, fail to convert, end up losing that game. And a lot of people came away from that game going, wait a minute, where is this thing at? What are we doing? They're so far away. Jonathan Crompton can't play. You need to bench him, this, that, and the other. So the flip to that is this week a lot of Tennessee fans are going, man, I don't know anything about this offense. But the test is coming in week two, much the same way the test was in 2009 was week two, not week one. So we'll see where it goes from here. We all know what happened with that 2009 team. Jonathan Crompton figured it out about midway through the first half against Georgia, and they took off running from there. And and Lane Kiffin was steadfast in the fact that he wasn't changing quarterbacks because he believed Crompton could play, and he thought without question Crompton was by far the best and only option on his team at that point. How does Joe Milton play tomorrow? Where does Tennessee with the quarterback situation moving forward, depending on how that plays? There's a lot of similarities from the standpoint of it's the game that's the first real test because the first game was such a throwaway game. Last week was a throwaway game in terms of what you learned about this team, as was the case with Western Kentucky in 09. Brent Hubs of VolQuest.com and the VolQuest Power Hour each and every Friday here on OutKick 360. Brent, thank you as always. Good luck with the broadcast tomorrow. Uh, We'll be tuned into that. Plus, uh, we look forward to having you and Austin back next week to recap it all. Great stuff. All right. Sounds good, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you all. Have a good weekend. Brent Hubbs there uh, previewing Tennessee and Pitt. And now we turn our attention to the NFL kickoff here in Music City. Uh, We're just across the river. Tennessee Titans football kicks off on Sunday against the Arizona Cardinals. Noon kickoff, Paul. We have the injury report. We also know who the starting right tackle is going to be. It will be David Quessenberry uh, starting at right tackle opposite Taylor Lewan. I mean, the signs were coming, Hunt, but I I really didn't expect it. I I mean, the the guy was third string left tackle last year behind Ty Sembrilo. So he's hopscotch Ty Sembrilo. We were walking out of there and we were saying, well, Sembrilo missed a good share coming back. But it was that big a share? I mean... He was back in time to to reestablish himself. So, I mean, I think Quesenberry's done a nice job of of, of establishing himself as a, a a legitimate depth piece. But I am surprised that he was able to hopscotch two guys, and certainly injury return for Sembrilo and an injury to Kendall Lamb during camp helped him because he's the only guy that played the whole time. But if you're going on guys who played the whole time, there are a hell of a lot of Titans who would be out of the lineup. Sure. Where are the Titans' true advantages in this game, head-to-head? I think that Isaiah Simmons, and this is partly talking to Blake Bettingfield, it qualifies as a kind of finesse pass coverage linebacker. Big advantage for Derrick Henry with him in run defense, right? And that's where the Titans 
bread and butter starts is with Derrick Henry. So that's a matchup I look to immediately. And then we've talked about the other one, Malcolm Butler out, top three cornerbacks. We were talking about this with regard to the Bucks and the Cowboys last night. Yep. That third Cowboys corner against Antonio Brown, the third receiver couldn't stand up to it. Can the Cardinals' third wide receiver stand up to and is Chester Rogers up to the task? He's going to get really beneficial coverage if Julio Jones and A.J. Brown are on the field at the same time, obviously drawing the premier coverage of what the Cardinals have to offer. And on the flip side, third down defense was horrendous for the Titans last year. That's been well documented. Uh, I a chance for improvement based on a stat that you pulled on Kyler Murray. Yeah, give me that stat. You have it in front of you maybe more than I do. But Kyler Murray was not a good third-down quarterback. 36% of his pass attempts on third down uh, went for a first down. That, Chad, how that, do you that's like that? since the 2019 two, season. Yeah, so two-thirds of the time he's not converting against you. That's a good well, sign for a defense passing. that's trying to convert. That's, that's passing. A lot of his conversions are scrambling. To get All a first right. down. So That's if, the they, if they're able to capture, not kill, and uh, he's throwing two-thirds of the time incomplete, then you, you've got to like your chances. I don't have the running, running numbers, which, right. is, which is a, a, a big part of it, obviously. Well, the passing numbers are tied for the worst among 27 quarterbacks who would qualify so for whatever they're So that part of it is advantageous to the Titans who are trying to reestablish themselves on third down after an absolutely horrific year last year giving up over 50% on third downs. That's where they've got to start to be better. And to me, another big storyline, Hutton, is Bud Dupree. How limited is he? Is he on a pitch count? Are they playing him against the run? Can he be all out on, on clear-cut passing downs? That's a big mystery heading into this game. Well, his availability so. and what's Julio Jones's availability? Uh, he's going to play. Yeah, How much? He, yeah. So those two guys, key guy on each side of the ball, uh, are they full go or how close to full go are they? Because the alternatives are not terrific. I mean, there's a big drop off from Bud Dupree to Rashad Weaver to Derek Roberson or to Ola Adenayi. And there's Adeni, a big drop yeah. off from, from uh, Julio Jones to Chester Rogers or Nick Westbrook-Akina. And have they ruled, have they ruled out um, Reynolds? They've not ruled out Reynolds. He's questionable. So that, that'll be a, a big question coming into the game. But I'm not real excited about Josh Reynolds right now. I haven't talked much about Amani Hooker, who now steps into the starting role next to Kevin Meyer. I like him. I, I think it's an upgrade. I, I mean, I liked Kenny Vaccaro a lot, but Kenny Vaccaro. You think it's an upgrade over late Kenny Titans. Vaccaro? Yeah. Uh, Kenny Vaccaro coming into the Titans was terrific. Kenny Vaccaro going out of the Titans was kind of beaten up and worn down. Chad, you optimistic on the Titans? No. No. I, I think all three of us kind of have a similar I've, feeling I've got that a, the I've offensive got a weird cohesion about this. is a bad thing. And I also think that Titans' third down difficulties, and maybe I'm just so blinded by just the complete ineptitude on third down defense a year ago, I think Kyler Murray's going to give them problems picking up first downs with his feet. Uh, in this game. I'm probably the most down on the Cardinals on all three of us. I think I'm cold, you're warm, and Hutton's hot. I've got them in the playoffs. Um, but uh, I, I just uh, I feel like the Titans, and I asked Taylor Lewan about this today, you know, starting the run game slowly. You know, he said we definitely need to, to get it going faster, and we know no 2,000-yard back has ever repeated as a 2,000-yard back. We certainly can't roll it out there and expect to get it going, but I think that's a big key, too. Get Derrick Henry going. 
Uh, I, I fear Derrick Henry, early season Derrick Henry in this game too because it, he is a guy It takes him a couple weeks to really get rolling, and I think that could be an issue. He averaged around 3.7 yards per carry in the month of September last year. And then? Right. He's still a great back, and he's still the best back in football right now. But they need to lean on him early and often this Sunday against Arizona's defense. Can they run it and establish the run on that defense? Um, that's one storyline to watch. When we come back, we will discuss what A.J. Brown and Julio Jones had to say. They spoke to the media today. Mike Vrabel did as well. Paul mentioned Lawan. That and much more as we preview Titans and Cardinals next on OutKick 360. OutKick 360 and the Tennessee Power Hour live from 6th and Peabody alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton, 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer, which we have in front of us, and Old Smoky Moonshine. FanDuel.com slash OK360. That's the site to go visit. And if you're a first-time user, download the app. Go to FanDuel.com slash OK360. 40 to 1 odds on any NFL team to win the opening weekend, to win on Sunday or Monday night. The maximum bonus is $200, which means you bet five to win $200. First deposit needs to be $10 minimum. And then your first bet is this as a first-time user. You bet five to win $200 on any NFL team to win opening weekend. The offer is valid in all legal states where FanDuel operates. FanDuel.com slash OK360. I, I, look, it, the over-under uh, has gone up a little bit uh, over the last week or two with Tennessee, Arizona, I think they, both of these teams are going to score a boatload of points. One matchup we haven't touched on is, well, Paul mentioned it briefly with Chester Rogers as the three going against however they want to match up defensively. But with Malcolm Butler out, this is a matchup that the Titans receivers, with or without Josh Reynolds, should win. This is the difference maker of Julio Jones and A.J. Brown and Ryan Tannehill. They, they should win this matchup against a Cardinals secondary that uh, is the weaker of the two matchups on well, paper. another guy who's involved here who we haven't mentioned, Anthony Ferkser, sure, who is yeah. a third yeah. down, yeah. red zone guy who's going to have opportunities. And uh, I should point out, A.J. Brown today was asked the key to the Cardinals offense, and he didn't hesitate. He said, Buddha Baker, where's Buddha Baker? Now, he didn't talk about a corner. He talked about a safety right away. And I thought that was pretty significant that he, you know, Well, that's because they move him up. He? They move him up and almost play him as a hybrid player. Yeah. They move him around. And he plays outside, too, some uh, in some matchups for them. Um, you know, Zayvon Collins makes his debut as the behind-the-ball linebacker for Arizona and this run defense. And J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones. How are they going to line up and attack David Questenberry, and who's going to get started at right tackle, and how, how will the Titans help on that side of the football? They don't have to slide protection, slide protect anymore to the left and right side because Taylor Lewan is back. Lewan needs to be the anchor on the left and allow for the chip or the extra tight end on the right. Though Lewan's first game back off the ACL, they'll probably, I mean, they're certainly going to test him. Sure. Arizona is going to say, hey, Got Quesenberry over there. We want to go after him hard. But also, let's make sure Lawan is good over there, soloed up Check on, on, that, on knee. that leg. Yeah. Check on that knee with Lawan. Lawan, the key is you cannot worry about him. 
I'm with Hutton on this. That, for that offense to fully function, Taylor Lewan has to be the star left tackle where you're not concerned about him. You're going to have to help out on the right side, and frankly, in part because Dylan Radins is a backup guard, and that's the guy they drafted to be their right that, tackle. Isaiah Wilson and, and not just the future, the but now to be the right tackle, and he's not. Um, but Lewan's got to be Lewan. Can't worry about him with penalties and different things like that. He's got to go back to being Lewan. I think he will be. I'm confident that can happen, but that's, to me, a key. And the one thing, let's go back for a second to Dupree and Jones, where we were talking about injury, pitch count, all of that. They're not on the injury report at all. So they weren't limited in anything that they could do at practice, full workload at practice. That doesn't mean that they can do everything, but it does mean something that you're not on there. So what's... Where would we set expectations for snaps? Uh, and I'm, I don't think they go into it with a set snap count, but do you think they have, like, is it a third down package or is it a second about, and third I'll down I'll throw package? an over-under number. How about 65 to 70% yeah. for Dupree? I, I'd say the same for Jones, 70%. If you play 70% for Jones, and they're going to be in some only two wide, right, where the, you can throw another guy mm-hmm. on the field yeah. a couple times in too, in too tight. And the, the two rookies, we should also point out, who yeah, we know are actually going to play, Weaver and Molden. Can they have an impact in week one the way they showed the, that they can have a, an impact in the preseason? Well, we haven't talked about this enough. We've been talking about Arizona's corners. Yeah. But the Titans have a young core of cornerbacks against some very experienced wide receivers here, starting with DeAndre Hopkins, who's a Titans killer. They're He's killed double. a couple generations of Titans cornerbacks. Then you've got uh, Rondale Moore, a kid who's sneaky You liked fast. him. I liked him, but Blake Bettingfield at my site loves him. And then you've got A.J. Green, who could still, you would imagine, do some things. They took him over Larry Fitzgerald, for crying out loud, who's their institutional player, the face of their franchise, who they didn't bring back. And then they have Christian Kirk. They have Andy Isabella. They've got some receivers who, Blake said, could force the Titans to play zone. So we've been talking about mm. this, get up in their face, get up in their face, get up in their face, and he's saying they may have to play zone. Debut of, of the coordinators the, too, Chad. This is it. This, is it going to be more of the same with what we saw with Arthur Smith, with Todd Downing taking over, or is that going to be a drop-off? We mentioned all week we underestimated the drop-off from Dean Pease to what came next, and – the Titans have an actual defensive coordinator listed on the website calling plays. So that's it's going to be a big part. I'm very curious with Downing, and this isn't a Downing change so much as it's a personnel change, though Josh Reynolds not at full speed, uh, Marcus Johnson on injured reserve, but they played 35% too tight last year, and Jonu Smith is gone. The personnel would dictate to me that you play less than 35% too tight. Now, it could be partly matchup and all of that. I'm curious to see how much do they use three wide, how much do they use too tight, based on dictating to Arizona, not based on reacting to what Arizona has, but based on what they have. Anything that you took away from the media availability today with players or with Vrabel? I thought the uh, it was a funny thing. I asked uh, Julio Jones because somebody sent me some information about Julio Jones sneaking off when he can to fish. And I asked him how, uh, how, how the fish bite here compared to where he's used to going. He said, wasn't bad. It really uh, it, is fresh water here. He doesn't it, know these, it teaches these lands. Him, it teaches him patience. It's about patience. 
And so then people were asking. Did he find salt water in Atlanta? AJ Brown. <laughs> so it's fresh water here. I'm like, where, where was he going salt water? <laughs> well, maybe he gets to the Atlantic from, from Atlanta easier. Um, anyway, Chad, he said. That's a tough. That's a tough road trip. <laughs> that's not the during the season. <laughs> that's not the theme of what I'm talking he tried, about. Going on a Tybee Island. <laughs> guys were guys were asking AJ if he, you know, about all these things he does with Julio and everything. And they said, "Well, do you fish with him?" And he said, "Man, he's 32. I'm 24. That patience thing is not for me. He's got no interest in learning patience. AJ is active." So they, as similar as they are and as much as they may be brothers right now, when it comes to living a slower life, A.J. Brown wants nothing to do with it. See, I, I think, I, I get the sense, look, I, first off, Arizona's going to be in this game. Um, I don't think we're going to see slow out of the gates from this offense. I think we will see better defense, but I don't think it's just lights out defense all of a sudden a switch is flipped and everything's fixed I think this is more or less what we saw last year and how the Titans build on this moving forward I'm expecting a high scoring game and I do believe the Cardinals are all about uh, an opportunity to start fast this year with Cliff Kingsbury uh, and and with everything they have offensively right now, I don't so, I don't bet on the Titans. But if you bet same. on the Titans, I would I would play the over under. I would stay away from the game itself. I, I'm with you guys. I'm going over on my bet uh, the over under. I'll, I'll I'll predict it. I think the Cardinals are coming in and winning. I think the Titans are 0-1 on Monday. On a kick? Because there's a kicker situation all of a sudden. Yeah, Sam Ficken limited today. So all of this kicker drama that we had, settle down, settle down, settle down. Ficken's the guy. Today, limited right groin injury. They sign a guy to the practice squad who could be called on tomorrow, and it's nobody we've heard of or that they've dealt with. Um, Michael so. Badgley, who, who has kicked in regular season games for the Chargers. But uh, um, they didn't go get Steven Goskowski for the practice squad. He's, a, you know, no, he's not signed for a role like that. He's signed that's true. For, for a bigger role. So Boys, can I we, hope can for we their cheers, sake. Cheers Sam to the weekend. Absolutely. Right. Uh, as, as cheers we to the out, weekend. I want to make this a Friday tradition here. On we'll make Chad go the long way. Cheers. Yeah, you come to me, Chief. Uh, big week starting uh, next week, Monday, for OutKick 360. Uh, big thanks to uh, everybody behind the scenes making the show happen for us. Jacob Swanson, Jonathan Moulton, the chairman of the board, David Reed, and Ellie Sylvia, our great production assistant. Back at it Monday. You know the drill. Don't block the box. Do lock the locks. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to OutKick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.